You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 20. Today we're going to be talking about fast fashion, something that you may have heard a lot about, and um, we hope to kind of uh, help you figure out what that means and, and for you as a consumer and for the environment. Um, so we have a special guest today to talk about that, in addition to our regular uh, cast, which is Jen and Chris. And then also Logan's joining us from Canada okay. as well. <laughs> so um, our guest today is Ashley Gill has been close to textiles all of her life. She grew up on a cotton farm in Texas and spent time in a cotton growing region of Cameroon during a stint with the Peace Corps. Um, she's been with the Textile Exchange since 2010 and leads the standards team at Textile Exchange and is particularly passionate about ensuring that um, actions companies take to adopt sustainability result in real and meaningful change. Outside of work and travel, she takes her dog Tito on walks in the nearby nature preserve and tries to make her husband laugh. That sounds pretty cool. So Ashley, sometimes kinda, successful, sometimes not. You get the look of what? Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of tell us, uh, I guess, why you decided to, to get in this field. I know you kind of grew up in the industry or near the industry, but what made you decide to make a living out of it? And, and Yeah, that's a great question. Well, if you would have asked me whenever I was a kid, if I was going to have anything to do with textiles or cotton, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way. I'm not interested. Um, I spent a lot of time in the field as a child working, um, obviously, during the summer. I didn't miss any school, but uh, that was a big part of of our life growing up. And then I uh, went away to college. I had these kind of big city dreams and I went away to school and really started, I spent, I took a lot of classes on history and also international development related to agriculture. And I started learning a lot more about, you know, what farming actually, you know, the, the potential that farming has to improve the lives of farmers. And so I spent some time in the Peace Corps. And um, while I was over there, my dad was actually diagnosed with cancer and so I came home early to to help take care, you know, be with my family. Um, he's my dad is doing great now. He's awesome. been in remission for yeah almost ten years. So really oh, wow. happy about that. But um, yeah, I was at home and I was just thinking about like you know the farm and thinking about like the time that I had spent in Peace Corps and how much it opened my eyes about the impact that the, the, the decisions that we take have on the environment and the impact that that then has on communities and the resiliency of communities. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels you could draw between my family farm and the farms that I, I was visiting in Cameroon. Um, but anyway, my mom, I was really interested in that and I wanted to find a job in that field, had no idea how to get into it. And my mom found an ad in a local newspaper for a, a global nonprofit in O'Donnell, Texas, which has a population of about 900 people. Um, and I just didn't really believe her. I thought that, that there was something, you know, they're probably lying. But anyway, it was an organization called Organic Exchange. And I started with them in 2010, um, and they evolved to become Textile Exchange. And yeah, I've been with them for almost 10 years now. Uh, in April will be 10 years. How cool! So and how it kind of how opened my eyes to that whole world. I didn't really realize that <laughs> that it was there. But 
how have you seen that company grow in that amount of time? It's been 10 years, and I imagine it, since they've changed their name, a lot of th- other things might have changed. Yeah, we first, the organization first started working on organic cotton. Um, the founder worked with her husband. Her husband was an organic cotton farmer for many years, and he you know, really was focused on the farm and she really went out and did a lot of the marketing. She was trying to find buyers for the organic cotton and really got to know companies like Nike and Patagonia and were really kind of explaining and, and helping them understand the benefits of organic cotton. And then from that, the organization kind of evolved. But whenever I joined, we were still organic exchange, but we were transitioning into textile exchange. So it's been textile exchange most of my career. Um, but it's, I would say it's actually really incredible because we, we do a lot of work to help companies figure out what materials they should use and, and how to get those into their supply chain. And probably 10 years ago, we spent a lot of our time with the why, like, why do you need to be using these materials? Why do you, why does it matter? Why should you be asking questions about where these materials come from? What are the impacts? And do you as a company really understand what those impacts are? And the transition that I've seen in the past 10 years is that people don't need the why anymore. There's a, there's so many brands and retailers that, that have strategies that have you know, plans and targets in place. And they're coming to us more for how, how do I actually make this happen? I know that it's important. My consumers are asking for it. My, my, you know, my buyers are asking for it. How do I actually make it happen? And so we've been able to transition into that from that role of kind of, you know, preaching and saying, this is what you should be doing more to that kind of handholding and, and guidance role, which I absolutely love. It's really fun. It's awesome. And it's really encouraging to, yeah, it, it's really encouraging to see a company like that and that there's a need for it and, and demand for it as well. Um, so before we move, uh, get too far into the discussion, um, for our listeners out there, can you give kind of a recap of just what fast fashion is um, for those who maybe only heard of it in passing or have never heard of it at all? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I would love to kind of spit off the history of fast fashion and, and how it started and, and all those things, but there's not, you know, I, I'm not really sure about the details, but I can tell you that, you know, a couple of generations ago, people would come out with new seasons, maybe twice a year, maybe, maybe four times a year at the most. And where they would essentially like plan the cycle, a brand would plan a cycle that a year would have maybe four collections in it. So we would have the spring collection and the fall collection, or maybe spring, summer, fall, and winter. Um, But what we have seen happen now is that the distance between kind of the number of collections that a brand puts out per year has increased like, you know, quadruple what it used to be. So now rather than having seasons and collections that come out once a season, now we have new stuff coming in every two weeks, um, in some cases every week. And it's a way to kind of it's a, it's a way to bring consumers into the store more often. But the end result of that is that essentially there's just a lot more new things to buy. Um, so that's happened. And the other thing that's kind of, you know, happened in 
in conjunction with that is that the prices per unit have fallen significantly. So what, you know, a coat that you used to need to save up and buy, and you would only buy maybe once every four or five years now, because a coat is so cheap relative to, you know, to how much people, how much money people are making, they can buy a coat every year. They can buy a coat in the fall and they can buy a coat in the spring if they like as well. Um, because the cost for a, for an individual kind of item is just a lot cheaper. So this whole like kind of shifting of the system really incentivizes people to buy more, buy more, and for the cost per unit to go down and down and down. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I understand fast fashion. Um, and there's still a ton of companies in that space. We work with companies that I would, I would put in that space, um, it's definitely not, you know, there's still companies that are big multinationals that, that don't do that. But, but that's kind of the, I think the definition. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, fast fashion is just one symptom of this disposable society that has developed over the last several decades, right? Where it, it's become so cheap and easy to make, tend to just use them a few times once or twice and throw them away. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually met you actually at the a screening documentary screening for the mm -hmm. documentary fast the cost of fast fashion um, true and, cost. or the true cost sorry the true cost yeah. and it looked at a really in depth you know look at um, what fast fashion is how clothes are produced it gave some some pretty uh, touching stories about the people that work to make some of these clothes in other countries and the things that people are doing to kind of fight this issue and and it was it it was both you know uh, sad and hopeful at the same time. But, um, I, I do think it, it, you know, it's really opened my eyes to this issue that I already was kind of aware of, but it, it's obviously much bigger than even I knew. And, um, curious ladies, what, you know, what do you think about all of this and, and what's your experience, I guess, with the topic or have, did you come into this kind of knowing what it was or are you kind of, um, still learning like all of us about all of this? Um, I knew what fast fashion was and it's super addictive yeah. <laughs> because especially having a family of four, um, buying a t-shirt that's five bucks that the kid's going to grow out of in like six months is really alluring as opposed to spending $25 on an organic t-shirt or sec uh, something made sustainably that they're going to grow out of in six months or sometimes less depending on the growth spurts. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. really hard to pass that up because children grow so fast and, and then their stages grow so fast too, because my daughter Logan is 14 now. And there was a good chunk of time when she was little, that pink and purple was sort of your jam. Yeah. Now not so much anymore, but yeah. it was only four years. And in that four years, she grew a lot. So fashion for families it's it's hard and unless you have a really fantastic secondhand sound or you have relatives that have older um the nieces and nephews hand-me-downs and secondhand isn't always an option either so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah then teaching this one about fast fashion just because she's starting to get into it and i know you discovered as much as you like hot topic would you find out about it is made of really cheap material. <laughs> yeah. And it goes really quick. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that was one of the questions that I had with with quality of fabric. You know, how do you Mm -hmm. know what to look for? What brands are good? Like, which ones are using organic cotton, I guess, or? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really hard. Um, When I started thinking, and, and I have to say, I spend all day long talking to people who are like in the industry and familiar with supply chains. And so I'm going to have to catch myself. So I don't use terms that only weird people know what they mean. (laughs) Um, But the thing that I think I always come back to is that the really secondhand is, is the best thing. It's great. Everybody. I think that's kind of pretty foundational. Um, And it's, it's really hard when you're in, I think the, one of the reasons that fast fashion is so, I think, so widespread is because it is addicting, right? And it is where, like, the incentives are there to, like, to make things really cheap and to keep thing, the, the cost of things really, really low and to keep people coming back. And you think about, like, how much the middle class has been squeezed in the last, like, decade or two where you used to be able to plan to buy a house and maybe that's not really that realistic for everyone anymore, but it is realistic to go shopping two or three times, even in a month, if you want to. Um, and so it's, it makes total sense. It's like, it's definitely kind of a psychology thing. Um, and where I think the biggest impact of fast fashion is, is just the pressure that it puts on the system. Um, and I know a lot about farming and about, um, like essentially, I think about materials come from three places. They're coming from farms, they're coming from forests, or they're coming from the oil and gas industry. So if it's synthetic, then it's like made out of oil, essentially. go It goes through a lot of chemical processes. Um, farming is where like cotton and wool and a lot of the natural fibers come from, hemp, linen, all of those things. There's a lot of material coming out now from that's called viscose or lyocell that's made from from harvested like eucalyptus trees or bamboo. And then it goes through a chemical process to to turn into a fiber. And when you have like fast fashion and there's this huge kind of pressure on those resources, then it's really, really difficult to um, to do it in in a responsible way. So essentially what if we can put less pressure on those systems or, or maybe both, we can also incentivize better practices at that level. Um, then that's really the best thing. And so for, I mean, for on the consumer side, for what people should look for, you know, natural fiber is, is most likely going to last a little bit longer. Definitely there are cases where like nylon and polyester are, you know, are, produced in a way that's really technical and, you know, good. But if you, a couple of things you can do if you're looking at a garment, um, if there's a really, really a long list of materials in it, like there's a lot of things that have been blended, it's probably maybe one to try to avoid. So the less fibers there are in a specific material, the better, because that just means it's going to be easier to reprocess it. Um, it's probably higher quality materials. Um, if there's more of it in a, in a given garment, you can also try the seams. If you kind of pull on the seams in the store, that can also be a way if they, if they look like they're, they're, there's big gaps or they're 
uneven or they're, they look like they're coming apart, that's probably a sign that it wasn't produced really well. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things. I would also really encourage companies you to look at what a brand talks about and look at what they're committing to. And do they have a plan for where they're getting their materials from? And do they have a plan for where their products end up? Do they, do they have a take back program? Do they um, pay attention to, you know, to that, the whole kind of cycle of clothing? So it's honestly, I'm not going to say there's like a golden ticket for what to do as a consumer. Cause I personally, I've been in the field for 10 years. I know a lot and I get really overwhelmed and end up like going into a store and just thinking like, I'm just not going to buy anything because I don't feel good about any of this. <laughs> you mentioned um, organic cotton a couple times. Can you explain yeah. why that's better than regular cotton to those who don't sure. understand that process? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I grew up on a cotton farm um, and I can tell you a lot about how it's done conventionally. And now because of textile exchange, I can tell you a lot about organic. Um, essentially organic means that it was grown, uh, it was farmed without pesticides, without synthet synthetic pesticides used to kill weeds or bugs or anything like that. Um, so those, those um, synthetic or petrol-based substances aren't kind of like being extracted from the earth and then going back into the, um, into the ground in the form of pollution, essentially. Um, there's also um, no genetically modified seed. Um, so it's really kind of more about restoring the natural system, the kind of the, the ecosystem that, that farming. And I think that ecology was really designed to, um, to provide, you know, the, the natural system has a lot of benefit in, you know, biodiversity and keeping bugs in the ground to kind of keep the natural cycle of things. And organic is really about kind of restoring that mindset and that, um, that those growing practices, it's, it's definitely not easy. It's, it's a hard way to farm. And if you think about a lot of the, like the progress that farming has really pushed and incentivized in the last few years has been around like higher mechanization, more inputs. And a big reason for that is that it reduces labor cost. Um, which is really, especially in places like the U.S. where the labor, you know, the cost of labor has gone up, gone up a lot. That's a, a big win. Um, but organic requires more labor and it requires, you know, a heavier investment. But one of the benefits of organic, in addition to kind of the, the environmental and the ecological benefit, is that in almost all cases, farmers are receiving a premium for organic organically grown cotton. And it's a way that really, you know, it's a, a costing structure that really reflects the cost of growing cotton. And in the commodity market today, I mean, I, mean, I can speak, uh, you know, my family doesn't grow organic cotton. And a big reason is the, you know, the cost of investment that it is up front. And the more I think that brands kind of invest in that and, and support organic farming, that it's going to be a better business case because um, farmers are business people and, you know, they're, they're not the, they're not the enemy. Um, and if there's a way to, to incentivize farming practices that help the farmer and help those communities, then, um, you know, that's really the direction that we as an organization believe that the industry should go. Yeah. It levels the playing field a little more for exactly. everyone. Yeah. Um, I think 
correct me if I'm wrong, but another issue with cotton is that um, people tend to try to grow it in regions that it's really not suited for, and therefore it requires a lot more water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very water-intensive crop, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if I know there was a big push, especially like in the 90s, to wear cotton and this great material, but it's it's also, it, it is natural, but it's also very costly in that respect. Um, and so thinking about the resources that go into making mm-hmm. something, that's, that's mm-hmm. a big one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the long term, I think the long looking at like the patterns that 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 cotton growing can have, like the impact that it can have. Oh, in Texas, it's really common to see if you go up to the to the panhandle near Lubbock, which is where my family lives, you will just see I mean, it's as flat as a table and you'll just see miles and miles of cotton. There's not a lot of trees. There's not a lot of, you know, diversity in those farms. And that's another thing that it can kind of over time, it's really hard on, you know, it can diminish the or like deplete the nutrients that are in the soil lower. The water table is a lot lower than it used to be in that region. Um, But because the, you know, the environmental cost of farming is not factored in. Um, to the decision making, because there's really no structure for it to be yet. Um, that continues to be a challenge. Um, yeah. So if you had to pick two, like natural fibers that are the most sustainable, which ones would it be? Because well, you factor in like bamboo and the water required for that versus the water required for cotton and then things being grown mm-hmm. like organically or not organically yeah I love cotton I think that it has like super super widespread applicability you know it's it's something that can be used in a in a lot of different contexts um I think I would I'm super super interested to see the future of I don't know if this is a term that you're familiar with but regenerative organic Mm-hmm. Um, where you essentially it's kind of a farming system that replenishes and it's just starting with cotton, but I'm really, really interested to see what happens there. Hemp is another one that's been really popular lately. Um, there's a lot of the, the processing for hemp is not quite as, is not very intensive. It doesn't take as much water to grow. It doesn't take as much pesticides to grow. Um, there's still, you know, it's not a super efficient supply chain because there's you have to have a little bit of expertise in how you spin it and weave it into fabric. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential there. There's also, I think, an enormous amount of potential for wool um, from re again regenerative sheep grazing practices, where in there's a really cool organization called Ovis 21 in South America that has used sheep farming to recover to kind of re I don't know what the right word is but to revive grasslands um, and they're actually sequestering carbon using wow. um, sheep which it like blows my mind I think it's the coolest yeah. thing and there's there's just so much innovation and and development and things like that that are possible in the natural system if we can kind of think through like what is a natural cycle and how can we produce something that is valuable and kind of, you know, fulfills a human need to be clothed, but do it in a way that doesn't, you know, 
diminish the resources or doesn't hurt the land or, or the people involved. So I know that you have um, like a certification program or some sort for companies. What are some brand names that we might recognize that are involved in this? Yeah, yeah. So a big part of what Textile Exchange tries to do is kind of shorten the distance, both literally and figuratively, between the raw material and the brand. Um, and our standards are one way to do that. So we have we own uh, five standards right now. We have one for organic content. We have two for recycled content. We have one that verifies animal welfare in the um, down supply chain. And then one that verifies animal welfare on the wool and um, in, animal welfare and land management in the wool supply chain. So a lot of companies are using our standards for their organically grown content. Um, there's also a lot of companies that are using it for recycled. But for down in particular, that's one that you can definitely it's a lot easier to find that logo. Um, people use that logo more often than some of the other ones. Um, the North Face uses the Responsible Down standard in all of their jackets. There's also Columbia Sportswear, um, Outdoor Research, Arcteryx, Mountain Equipment Co-op, REI, a lot of the outdoor companies. You can also find it in Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, um, even I think in Walmart, there are some products that have that that logo of the down material in particular. Um, with recycled, you can you're starting to be able to find it, but more often what you will find is that if a company is maybe if you look on their product page, so you're looking at the North Face and you see that they they mention recycled content, you can actually go to their um, corporate responsibility page. And they list the standards there. So they may not put them on the product, but they're talking about them in their sustainability reports and in the um, on their like corporate sustainability page. So there's a lot of the, the industry uses because there's really not any other standards that track raw materials into the final product. And so our standards are, are pretty widely used for that reason. It's a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's very, I realize it's also, yeah, it's, as a consumer, it's really hard to, you know, to grasp all of those things. And I, I mean, really, I think as a consumer, it's good to dig into these things and really to understand and ask a lot of questions. And if you are not sure, go to that company and ask them, you know, we, I see you have recycled content, but I'm not really sure how you verify that. You know, what are you, what tools are you using? What information can you give me to, you know, for me to trust that claim? Um, yeah. And I, whatever the claim is, you know, maybe it's recycled content or maybe it's, you know, something else. There's a lot of different um, certifications out there for sure. And I think I know they're really confusing and I can promise you that everybody knows they're really confusing and they're trying to figure out ways to make them easier to understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, this is something that came up in our last episode, actually. We talked about the circular economy, and Jen, I think, was the one that brought up the fact that a lot, you're seeing a lot of clothes and shoes made of, like, recycled plastic, um, which is kind of cool because it's repurposing that material, but um, 
on the flip side of that, there might be health risks associated with the chemicals in that plastic mm-hmm. and microplastics leaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know much about that or is there any, anything in that you could speak to as far as is that better, worse or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's there are definitely some companies who have made the choice who have said we really care about recycled content. We're going to go full steam ahead on that. Um, we're going to do, you know, testing to make sure that it's, it's safe for consumers, but we're going full steam ahead with, with recycled content. And there's other companies who have taken more of the, I I guess in internally, we would call it the more of the cradle to cradle approach, um, which has puts a lot more emphasis on like the toxicity and, and those types of things. Um, but actually, Ikea and H&M jointly did a study last year that they um, they actually announced it at our conference in Vancouver in October. And what they did was they they took a they're using a lot of recycled material and they want to scale that up. They want to use a lot more recycled material. But there's this story about, you know, are we really sure what's in that material, what's in those products? And so they did a study where they actually looked at kind of incoming recycled content, both post-consumer from the textile supply chain and also pre-consumer, um, and really tested out, you know, what are, if I test this material against my, you know, list of consumer safety restrictions, what is the result going to be? And actually the study found that the post-consumer textiles weren't really scoring that much higher. They were really didn't have, you know, as much. And so I think there's definitely risk. There's definitely the possibility that you, you end up with something in there that, that shouldn't be in there. Um, but there's a lot of technology around, you know, cleaning, getting, if you're mechanically recycling, especially that part's super important to make sure that the chemical or sorry, that the material has been cleaned really, really well before it gets shredded and and spun back into yarn again. But for chemical recycling, you're actually going back even in the chemical phase. And a lot of the impurities and the kind of what's on the outside comes out during that, that process. And obviously it goes somewhere. It doesn't just disappear, but those facilities are kind of monitoring that, that type of thing. And so it's, it's definitely a, a question of concern. It's definitely something that you should kind of ask about. And I think it's another reason why it's really, really important for companies to control the chemicals that they put into the system. Um, and to, you know, with the, with the new materials that they are producing, that they don't um, put a ton of, of, you know, materials or finishes on there that, that are going to last forever, or introduce toxicity issues. So um it's a great question, but I don't think that the answer is going to be one or the other, because if we ignore the waste stream, you know, that's that's going to have really big impact as well. And getting those materials back into product, I think, is is a really um, it's just that innovation, I think, is just going to continue to get better and better and and serve us well to use what we what we've already you know, produced impact from. Yeah, it's definitely a, a problem that's going to require many solutions and no one yeah. thing I think is going to solve it all, but 
I think if we if we use our collective, you know, problem solving skills, maybe we can we can fix this and make a dent in it. Yeah, and it's really, you know, I I know this is not necessarily something you're you're asking about right now, but something that I think I'm, you know, an organization like Textile Exchange puts puts me in a really unique position um, because we do help so many of these companies and. I think it's really easy to think about like a lot of these companies is just, you know, this big machine sitting up on a high hill and they're producing all of this crap and they're, you know, they're putting so much pressure on resources and putting all these, you know, chemicals into the earth. But inside of those companies are people like you and me that, that care a lot about impact that, you know, that really care a lot about climate change and global warming. And those are the people that I work with and that I, you know, I, I get on the phone with them and they're like, we really want to use more polyester that is recycled and not coming from a new stream, but we don't, you know, we're having this quality issue and we don't really know what to do to fix it. And they're really selling it internally. And sometimes my answer is actually, you know what, there's a brand that is your competitor, but they have that same problem. And I'm going to put you in touch with them so that you guys can can collaborate and share what you've learned with each other. And it's really, I think, there's so much collaboration happening in that sustainability space. I'm really happy, Jennifer, that you mentioned that of like that collectively we really can do more than these individual companies can do alone. And that's really a big part of what Textile Exchange does is bring the industry together, let them learn from each other. Um, what works, what didn't work, um, what they would do differently, and maybe some initiatives that we could do together that wouldn't really make sense on their own. So are you seeing this now as like, this is just going to be the norm from now on? So is there any pushback? In terms of sustainability? Sustainability and, and companies really realizing, okay, we got to do this. Because I know uh, I noticed that high fashion is sort of getting on board. There was a big cover mm-hmm. in Vogue. It was Vogue about um, sustainable fashion. Is it something that's now becoming the norm or are you guys still getting pushback? Well, we don't really get pushback, but it's because of who we are. Like people Mm -hmm. know when they come to us, they've already kind of traveled the great distance of (laughs) deciding that there's a problem and we need to do something about it. Um, Sorry about the dog in the background. Um, But so when they come to us, they've kind of already, I think, made that decision. There's definitely companies out there that are not in our community that are not, you know, they're not asking these questions or they're trying, you know, they're going it alone and they've, they've just, they're, maybe they care about it, but they're doing their kind of doing their own thing. I don't really see a future where we, where we stop talking about this. I, I think that climate change is only becoming more urgent I think the science is undeniable behind that. Um, the targets of what we, we need to meet are kind of overwhelming when you think about what, what that would actually look like to reduce emissions um, and to still have, you know, these companies remain profitable is I'm really curious to see how that will work. Um, but no, I, I definitely it's definitely the norm. I, I don't see a future where it's, it's not a fad. <laughs> no, no. And I think even that, you know, one of the interesting bellwethers or 
bellwether is such a nerdy word to use, but I'm on sustainably geeky, so that's okay, right? Yes. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> but, you know, you have some people from like BlackRock, the, that guy talking about that sustainability was going to factor into their investment decisions. And if that's the case and stakeholders and shareholders are both asking questions about, are you managing environmental risk in your supply chain? You know, if those questions don't get answered, then there, I think there's going to be consequences to that eventually. And I, I think, you know, not, not participating and not having a strategy, not thinking about it. I just don't think that it's a viable business strategy anymore. All right. But really- again, I'm <laughs> maybe a little biased. No, but like, have you heard, well, you, I mean, you're in this textile industry, so you would probably hear it before we would if there's rumblings of like dissent or if you're hearing like rumors or anything. Because for us, we live it. Like, I mean, for us, it's ev- like we see it all the time, but yeah, like, looking for it. So yeah, yeah. Friends and family who don't, are they, is it something that they're going to be now? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely companies out there who don't, who aren't paying attention, you mm-hmm. know, and who, who there's for, for whatever reason, maybe it's that they're so small that they don't have, you know, they can't even come up for air long enough to think about five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think any company that has kind of a viable growth path that they have, you know, they've got shareholders or they have a company that they're trying to, to build and grow. I think sustainability is, is absolutely foundational. And it's, I I just, again, like I kind of said in the beginning, I don't hear people arguing about that anymore. It's really like, we know we have to do it. We want to know how. Mm -hmm. I think there's always going to be some companies that are um, resistant to change for change's sake, or they're just in it for the the dollar and and they're not looking at anything else and they're just going to keep doing whatever makes them the most money. But um, ideally the ones that adapt to this new reality are going to be the ones that succeed and those ones will go away. Um, Whether because there's no resources or because they just, the customer base doesn't support them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear from you, you know, in the industry that there are so many people, um, in business taking this seriously because I think a lot of times we feel like it's all on us as the consumer and the choices we make and the things we buy and and do and we guilt ourselves I know I do you know everything I do has an impact and I need to stop you know buying this because it's in plastic and that but really a lot of that responsibility could be shifted to the the producer of the product right stop Mm -hmm. making it so cheaply stop you know packaging Mm -hmm. it this way um, so it's nice to know that there is some work being done. Yeah. On yeah. And I, I really, I'm just a, a strong believer in, in influencing where you can, but not, you know, putting the whole weight of the world on your shoulders and every single little decision. I think that, that we, it, I don't know, it just feels like more and more decisions are very binary. Like they're either really good or they're horrible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's really that clear. And definitely if you're in a company and you're, you're trying to make these types of decisions, it's not that clear. It's really gray. And the more I think kindness that we can kind of display just to ourselves and to the people around us and just acknowledging that kind of, 
yeah, there's urgency and we're definitely facing a crisis, but we, we have to still like maintain our humanity (laughs) in the, as we deal with it. We're doing the best we can. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I just did like a really quick Google search to see, you know, what, main companies are popping up since we're all women on the show you know we want to know like where we can buy from but yeah on the last show we talked about thread up a little bit so mm-hmm. that's the you know thrift store online so it makes it convenient I think that's genius by the way yeah. I don't know if there's any other companies like it out there but I'm sure they'll start popping up soon yeah, um, yeah. I was listening to to the last episode, and I think that she mentioned some great ones, um, like Eileen Fisher Renew, the Renewal Workshop, Renewal Workshop. Um, a few there, yeah. There's, I think there's going to be more and more of those examples. Um, I mean, local is also great because then you don't have that added um, shipment impact. But yeah whatever you can find. I think those options are just going to continue to grow. And people are, I think it's another way that, you know, the circle circular economy has a lot of potential in the fiber materials space also, because it kind of shifts the thinking of not just what am I making the product out of, but do I really need to make a new product in the first place? Mm-hmm. Is there a way that I can maintain my relationship with the customer without producing something new. Um, and yeah, I think it's a great, it definitely factors into to our strategy and to our work quite a bit, even if we don't have a kind of a singular focus on, on circular economy. Yeah, I struggle with, um, I'm not a very good thrift shopper. Okay, I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think this is a good, time in the show to kind of just mention that for your work attire or your leisure attire, whatever your go-to is, you know, it's, you can just have a few key pieces and mix and match and you don't have to have a hundred different pieces of clothing in your closet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can create a hundred different outfits with, you know, 20 Mm -hmm. pretty like key items. And so I don't know. I grew up with a mother who worked for Chanel. And so wow. She was, always, she was always like, okay, we can only afford like one or two of these because they're on sale. <laughs> like she got a special discount, you know, so it was just finding that classic piece mm-hmm. that's not trendy. That's not going to go out of style. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can just wear for forever. So if the, you're not a child wardrobe. and you're not going to outgrow <laughs> yeah. it and you're going to, you know, like once you reach your, you know, mid twenties, for the most part, you'll kind of like be the same size for the rest of your life. If you yeah. don't like gain a ton of weight or lose a ton of weight. But um, either way, you know, I think that's just kind of the key message here is don't, don't buy into the sales and all of the marketing out there that kind of suck you in for the 50% off or 75% mm-hmm. off. And it's only $10 for this shirt that's only going to last two or three washes and then it you know yeah. starts to fall apart so it is it is addictive and they they know that about us Americans <laughs> so yeah a big thing for me is I so I work with all these companies so I get a ton of marketing email my personal inbox is just like flooded with all this stuff and I constantly like unsubscribe because I'm just as susceptible 
I see like, oh, I, that's a brand. Actually, they're doing great things and I really love them. And like, it's 50% off without stopping myself and being like, wait a second, do I actually need that? Probably not. Um, or I'm the worst thing that I do is that I will go like seven, eight months and I won't buy anything. And then it will be like, well, I haven't bought anything in a while and I deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys have had this experience as well, but when you have like a quality piece of fabric, whether it's pants or a top or a skirt or a dress, when it's like kind of thicker, it just like, you don't even have to really wash it. (laughs) Oh, as yeah. much I yeah. don't know what it is but it's like I feel like I was like man I bought this shirt like a year ago and I'm pretty sure I've never <laughs> washed it it's just I know that sounds gross but it's just like I yeah. don't know it's like that that flimsier material it's like your sweat like just goes through it easier and you're just like oh this stinks it's like I always do the smell check you know yeah. like do I need to wash oh, yeah. this yeah. do the smell yeah. so Back there you go. You're doing less laundry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually really curious to, for you as a mom, like, what do you, what do you find has kind of worked for you and your family? Are there any, or, or like any areas that are particularly challenging? Cause I think with kids, like that's, like you said, it's super tough. It's tough. So I um, get them dirty so fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little at least. So, Logan just turned 14 last month and then my son will be 12 next month. So what's been the hardest is um, when they were not so much when they were little, because everybody's like, oh, when they're babies, they're like, here, I have all these things. Oh, and you're like, that's great. Yeah. So that part's great. But then that stops. And the yeah. biggest one we've had a hard time finding is um, shoes. Super yeah. hard to find secondhand shoes that aren't completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, good quality, too. Uh, also, we live in a rural area, so it's not like we can have, there's not like a huge secondhand market here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, shoes were always and still are always the biggest thing because they're not done growing yet. Um, sometimes outerwear can be a hard time, like jackets, because we have four <laughs> distinct seasons here. She's giggling. Um, <laughs> so constant turnover of clothes because we have extreme colds here in February. And then in July and August, you're like, you don't want to wear clothes because it's so freaking hot. Yeah. <laughs> there's that, ex- there's those extremes. So those have been the hardest. That's cute that you think it, it gets so hot up there. It it was hot when you were here. That's what was hot. It was hot, but it was a mile. To me, it was like, oh, this is nice. (laughs) Um, So the thing we've lucked out with now recently is because my sister-in-law has moved a lot closer. She only lives like 40 minutes away. She has two older children, a boy and a girl, who are 17 and 14. And thankfully, they're big clothes horses, so they love to shop. Okay. And we get the benefit of that. <laughs> so we yeah. get the hemi-downs. I don't think I've bought my son more than a t-shirt <laughs> and underwear and socks for a few years now because wow. at the right distance of age where Quinn can wear his older cousin's clothes. And then my sister's got three little boys. So when Quinn grows out of those clothes, they go to my sister, who's like, yes, please. She's got two boys who are the same size. So for her, it's like, yes, please. And so it's being passed down through five different children essentially when it gets down to my youngest nephew so that's really great but again and then with Logan she's coming into her own she's got her own style so it's finding secondhand shopping she (laughs) 
not a particular fan of it, as you can hear in Gigglesism. Yeah. But she's got a distinct style, so it's how do you find clothes that she likes, and she's starting to get into name brands now. Yes. Like she likes wearing. What's your What's one of your favorite ones? Oh. Maybe she knows if they're they're good or not. Uh, Champion. Champion. And okay. Vans and Adidas. Yeah. Champion seems so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Adidas is actually really good. Um, They're doing a lot of. uh, Mm -hmm. You maybe you know about this already. Yeah, maybe I'm not helping. This is the the Mm -hmm. mom daughter situation here. (laughs) Like, I probably picked the one that is the most expensive. (laughs) That's okay. We have Adidas things that are from my nephew, but um, they don't fit her. They fit my son. Yeah. Well, they they have one um one project where they they worked on like ocean plastic and they you know pulled it out and made a shoe out of it. Um, Vans is also part of um, a bigger like umbrella organization that has a really good sustainability program. So even if even if Vans you know, it might be hard to find it actually on the shoe, like where the material came from or, but it's, I can tell you that there are people at Vans and at the parent company that are like definitely making big commitments to, to materials and, and that kind of thing. But, but Logan thrift shopping is way cooler. It's definitely where it's at because you can find stuff there that nobody else has. And then you can be like, cool. That's what she's cool. wearing her older cousin's sweater right now. Sisters? Yeah, as am I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I get the clothes from my older niece, I'm like, what fits me? I go through it too. Um, <laughs> I also think it's where we are too, because we live in a rural area. Yeah. There isn't that much fantastic stuff to pick from. Yeah. So it's really, yeah. yeah, it's really hard to search for. So I think we're going to, I've signed up for ThreadUp. Cool. So for that to see, because they do sort by brand. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at that age, I was mortified at secondhand shopping because, you know, well, you think you think no. that people at school care and pay attention to that. But now I'm like, bring it on. Like, that's all I want to do is secondhand because. And my mom hated secondhand shopping. She hated it. So it was brand new. We are not slumming it, kids. We're buying. <laughs> Even if it was Walmart, it had to be brand new. So yeah. I didn't start thrift shopping. I think I did it a couple times in college and it isn't until the last couple of years that it's like, okay, this is getting a little ridiculous now. And I had a yeah. big shopping addiction where I would go to the mall and because there's all this fast fashion, oh, Blue Notes is having a big clearance, mm-hmm. everything, $10 in the store. Let's get all the things. Um, trying to, they all, yes, Blue Notes also <laughs> makes really cheap stuff. Um, but getting her to realize, um, you know, she's applied for a couple of jobs, so she's going to be making some money soon. So it's, you know, that shirt might be five bucks, but why is it five dollars? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. Would be, I would buy expensive stuff anyway. You would buy expensive stuff anyway. There you go. Because she likes name brands. Yes. <laughs> well, I will say that, that I tend to, I don't spend as much thrift, thrift shopping as I should, as much time. Mm-hmm. But my tactic has been that I try to buy less and only things that are classic that I know will last. So I still probably end up spending the same amount of money, but um, it's on things that I really believe in. So, yeah. And I'm willing to do that now more too. She hasn't slowed. Well, she's slowed down significantly in her growth. Um, So she's probably 
only going to be maybe another inshallah. But she's also a tall girl. Logan's 5'8". So oh, okay. she, yeah. she's also tall. She's got long legs. So trying to find those pieces that actually fit uh-huh. a taller girl who's probably not done growing. I want <laughs> but, you know, his feet are above average like she's got size nine feet so those things eight nine eight nine aren't usually readily available but yeah. um, finding those classic feet so we're willing now that she's slowed down it's going to fit her for longer to spend that money on yeah. quality items but when she was little it was like she's growing out in six months i'm not buying yeah. a 45 dollar pair of shoes she's getting the 10 bucks from walmart because it just wasn't financially feasible to keep buying that price of shoe every like twice a year like, exactly. like, yeah 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 exactly. yeah I think the key yeah is you know like Jen said buying key pieces um having that capsule wardrobe and trying to invest in things that maybe cost a little more up front but uh will last you longer versus buying you know having to buy a five dollar t-shirt every month or two because it's breaking down or it's tearing apart or whatever um and and i think that's something that unfortunately as technology has advanced we've just gotten out of practice with because you go back 50 to 100 years i mean people were spending a lot more per item but they were lasting you know they were things not just clothes but a lot of the different products and now things mm-hmm. are just um, built to break so that you buy more or they're just built to, you know, be used a couple times for convenience sake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think getting that mindset through to people that it's okay to spend more on something if it's going to be the quality that lasts you longer. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you take care of it and all that stuff. I'm not um, leggings. You're the one picky about leggings. Because you end up spending the same amount of money, essentially, anyways, if you're having to replace something. Yeah, 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 that's true. I've definitely been there where the sale, like, you know, you just get addicted to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's on sale, or this is so cute, I need, like, three of them, and next thing you know, you've got no space for it, and half of them. Yeah, 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 and we're really interested in... I think maybe I've, I've mentioned this, but we're really interested in learning more about like where those incentives come from and how to, how to channel those incentives and kind of create them within the supply chain so that companies have, there is more of an incentive for them to, you know, one of, one example of that is, um, I'm not sure it it came out just a, a few weeks ago, but we released our material change index. Um, and you can actually go to, um, MCI, I believe, .textileexchange.org. And it has a list of kind of um, companies and how they're performing in terms of their fiber material usage. Um, And so it's sort of like gamifying, creating some competition between companies based off of their sustainability performance. Um, So that's kind of one example of of giving companies incentives of, you know, rewarding their, their commitments, rewarding the work that they're putting into in a way that, you know, brands are already, you know, they, they care a lot about competition and about what the other guys are doing. So yeah, one, one other kind of helpful place to find companies could be there. Yeah. Well, I know we're, we're starting to run short on time, but I did want to touch on a couple more um, key points for our listeners, um, a, a lot of times, you know, with fast fashion, you hear about uh, 
the environmental costs, and there absolutely are. We talked about the resource depletion, um, water usage. There's also a lot of pollution that goes into it, um, things that go into the air and the water, which, of course, can end up back in our bodies as well as impact the ecosystems of, uh, you know, many different um, parts of the world. Um, but something that doesn't always get as much attention but is equally as important are the social impacts of these, um, you know, clothes that we produce so so quickly. Um, a lot of times people don't think about, you know, who's making these clothes and mm -hmm. how are they able to make them so cheaply and still pay people. And the, the, the answer is they're not really paying people a living wage a lot of times. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times they're made in developing countries where people are being, you know, put in essentially sweatshops, um, not mm -hmm. given adequate ventilation or protection um, from the chemicals or, or just the heat that they're in. A lot of times the buildings are not uh, safe. They're, they're structurally unsound. And we've seen a lot of, unfortunately, hor horrific accidents where the buildings have collapsed and killed thousands of people. Um, and there's, there's just a really blatant disregard for, for workers' rights in a lot of places. So when you are considering where to buy things, you know, think about that as well. There's a reason these things are so cheap because they're cutting costs in other areas. Um, mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. talked a little bit, Ashley, about the cost of labor going up when you have to produce the resources. Well, a lot of times the reason these these nicer or more sustainably made clothes are more expensive is also because they're paying the workers that make them more, paying them a living wage. Um, so I think as consumers, we need to retrain our mind as opposed to saying, well, this stuff is too expensive. Say, oh, I'm helping to support, you know, uh, a living wage in this country and I'm paying for the quality that, you know, is being produced versus kind of just expecting it to be free because they're not paying their workers. Mm -hmm. I know that was a lot. So <laughs> no, it's really, I think it, it goes, it, it's a really good tie in. I think to that, to that conversation around incentives and a big reason that fast fashion has had the, you know, the growth that it's had is because, you know, it's dri driving everything cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, but the, the kind of the resulting effect of that, is that you have all this impact kind of, you know, there's a cloud of dust following behind these production lines and the incentives, you know, it, it sounds like, oh, well, why don't these companies just pay them more? Mm -hmm. um, but there's all these kind of infrastructures that are in place that support this system of, you know, that not really protecting people and having government subsidies that, that don't really reflect the true cost of production, having um, basically no governmental regulations in place at all make, makes countries really cheap to produce in. And so it may not necessarily be that a brand is saying, well, I, I'm going to, I, you know, I'm not going to pay these people a certain amount, but if they're sourcing from a certain region because the cost is lower that's likely because there's not adequate social protection um, in place or, and or environmental regulations. Exactly. Yeah. Matter. And so, you know, it's one tactic might be for them to only produce in the U S only produce in, you know, in more developed nations, but it also could be that rather than pulling out of that country that they actually you know, put pressure on the governments in those regions, in places like Bangladesh and and um, and other parts of of that area that don't really have as much social protection to say, 
you know, we, we want to stay here. We want to support the economy, but we're not going to do it on the backs of your, you know, of your citizens. We want you to have these adequate protections in place or we're going to walk away. I mean, I'm not an economist, but you know, there's a lot of different, I think, ways that those incentives play out, but essentially you're absolutely right. The, the social part of it is a huge, um, huge area of concern. And that's a really big reason. Anytime you see something being cheaper, a lot of times the reason that it's cheaper is because of, um, yeah, just simply not paying what, what things actually cost. I heard a talk on fast fashion last month and the speaker said something that kind of just stuck with me and a lot of the others in the room. Um, she said, treat your clothes as if someone suffered to make it because they did, mm. um, which is, is really sobering when you think about, you know, this, this cheap shirt that I'm wearing or, or shoes or whatever um, that you just toss around, you know, someone might've bled over that or, or, you know, put a lot of their, their life, their heart into that. Um, so, so think about that the next time you buy something and you're just tossing it or just, you know, mm -hmm. not laundering it the right way or whatever the case is, try to make your stuff last and last and honor the sacrifice that people made so that you can have it. Mm. Yeah. Really well said. Well, anything else, ladies, that you'd like to bring up or ask Ashley before we move on? Do you have a question, nope, Logan? I think we're no. good. <laughs> Great. Well, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Um, do you have any other resources you would share with our listeners, whether it's podcasts, documentaries, books, movies, anything like that? Yeah. Um, no, the thing that came to mind when I, we were having the conversation about buying secondhand, um, and maybe this is something you guys have already talked about on the show, but um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a group called Buy Nothing. Yes. Is this mm -hmm. something you're familiar with? So this is an, another been kind of one of my recent finds that I've gotten really into, but it's essentially kind of community Facebook groups that where you just ask and offer things that you have or things that you and you don't want anymore or things that you need. Um, and it's a really cool way to kind of rely on your community to, you know, to fill stuff with that out just buying more things. Um, so I have, I have a meeting coming up and we needed crock pots to like cook for a big group of people. And I just asked the Facebook group for crock pots instead of going to buy them. So I'm borrowing them and then I'll just give them back. And it's been a really, yeah, that's probably not what you're talking about. But. <laughs> no, I actually thought of that as Chris was talking about kids clothes getting, you know, uh -huh. passed down and then I forgot. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. I recently it's gave away so. some light bulbs that <laughs> I, I, I like, I don't remember the last time I've changed a light bulb and I inherited this huge box and I was like, someone could use these. So I posted it and someone just grabbed them up and yeah. packing supplies and stuff. So yeah, you can find a lot of cool things. Do you guys have that up in Canada? Do you know, Chris? Yeah. Oh yeah, we do. I'm just not on Facebook. So <laughs> I, ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm finding is it, they have this thing up here called barrage sale. So the virtual garage uh -huh. sale. So okay. when I went on Facebook, that was a huge resource you could go there and you know buy sell trade whatever it was pretty good resource but my husband's still on facebook so you know i use him <laughs> like that i use yeah. his account yeah there used yeah. to be groups called free cycle groups too which were similar okay um, they're still okay. around but 
Yeah, if, if you're listening, definitely check your local community or your Facebook groups to see if there's anything like that. Because I think yeah. it's through the marketplace. Like if you go to their, they link to a bunch of groups. So. Oh, okay. Awesome. Cool. Any any other um, resources you would share or last minute thoughts? Um, no, it's yeah, it's it's great to be on. Um, and I I I think the the thing that it's probably most important to me to get across is just that it's it doesn't have to be so dire, you know, all the time that I, I think that hope has a really big role to play in all of this and finding ways to, you know, to connect with your community, to, um, to fill that hole that shopping tends to fill for all of us with other things, with dogs, really cute, fluffy dogs. (laughs) And yeah, things like that is, you know, go outside and go on a walk instead of, looking at your phone for sales. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think it's, you know, we're, we're, people are waking up and things are going in the right direction. So I'm, I'm really hopeful. Yay. I love hearing that. Mm -hmm. Um, well on that note, we're going to move on to our green life hacks and, um, Chris, would you like to go first? Sure. So it's, was one of my New Year's resolutions, as it has been in the past, but so far I've been able to stick to it. I love buying books a lot. And <laughs> I have a lot here that I haven't read. I've bought them with the intent of reading, and they've been sitting here for like a year, two years, and I haven't read them, but I keep accumulating more books. <laughs> so my goal this year is to not buy a single new book until I've read all the ones we've already got. So, so far <laughs> I've read three. I'm on the third book. Wow. Um, that we haven't, that's been sitting here for a couple of years that we, I haven't got to yet. So that's. And that's, are you uh, donating them or so trading them I, in yeah, after you read them? Donate them or we keep them because I really like them. So I read yeah. The Cursed Child. I loved it. So she's reading it now for Book Report. And then I'm finding books that either Ray's bought that I was like, oh, I don't want to read that. And I'm like, well, I got to read it now because it's here. And they're actually really good. Oh. So, yeah, it stopped me from uh, going out and just doing the quick purchase at Kohl's. Oh, new book day. And yeah, you should uh, suggest some of these books for our book club. I'm going to the one that I'm reading now. I'm totally going to. Yes. Yeah. We we also have a book club podcast called Marginally Geeky for those who are interested. (laughs) That's that's geeky, usually geeky and nonfiction style books. So um, and then Logan's got a green life hack. You do. Oh, I do. She does. What is it? I've about it before, but she can talk about because she actually uses uh, it. I don't time. know how to talk about it. What is it? It's a lunchbox. What's it called? Planet box. And why is it a green life hack? Because it's reusable. Why is Because it's Show us metal. those watching. Ooh, fancy. It's made of metal. Metal. So this is a company called Planet Box. They're based out of California. This is their... It's old. So. This one's old, but you can get replacements. <laughs> um, so when Logan was starting, we have junior kindergarten up here in Ontario. Junior and senior. Yeah. So when she started, she was four. Um, okay. There was actually this whole class you could take at the at the baby group to teach three and four year olds how to open all these different kinds of Tupperware containers because that's what they would have to do at, the, at lunch recess. And I'm like, this is stupid because she's going to spend all of her time a talking and b trying to figure out how to open these containers <laughs> and not eat her lunch. So, uh, another mom friend of mine, she was doing this in the same boat and she posted this on Facebook. I'm like, what's that? So it's just this open thing. So all they do is one little latch. It opens 
all their foods there so they're not fumbling around with anything. And you can stick it in the dishwasher or hand wash it. There's reusable little tin containers that fit in there, come with it. You can buy replacement parts for it too. Like one of the latches was starting to go. So you can just order a latch if you need and that's it. Um, and extra containers if you need them. They have little dipper pods and bigger ones. Um, but that we bought that in 2010. Think of how many plastic bags you've saved by yeah. using that thing. Well, and just plastic lunch boxes in general. Yeah. They get broken. Kids are rough on crap. Yeah. So it was awesome. You were very rough on that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we've bought, we have three now, but we bought the first two in 2010 and they've lasted. Wow. I bet, it, I bet it was a big upfront cost, but it was. paid for itself over time. American, so our exchange rate isn't fantastic. So it was a lot of money for us up front, but overall, it saved us a lot. And they have them for adults as well. There isn't just yeah. for kids. Little, they don't. Anyways, you can look. It's Planet Box, but that's very cool. Great save. example of spending more up front, but saving in the long run. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jen, what would you like to share with us today? Okay. So I <laughs> purchased Rothy's. Me too. Okay. I, do you love them? Oh my god, they're so comfortable. I love them so much. <laughs> really? I've been so curious how I have okay. really high arches, and I've been so, super skeptical. You should this have told me you I do. Sent you my code. <laughs> this is this is the arch support thing that I put inside the shoe because. It comes with, like, its own little insert, and I just, like, pull it out, and then I just stuck this guy so in So you here. got that – you got the insert separately then? Yeah. I just oh, went to, okay. like um, – you can just buy – it has the, the high arch support, and then it also has this little bubble here, which is amazing for, like, long day wear on your – it somehow helps your feet. Anyways, <laughs> I love these shoes. Um, they're made from recycled plastic bottles and they breathe. So like my feet don't get super sweaty, which is very rare in these types oh, of like yeah. shoes normally when you buy them from other places. Uh, you can wash them in the washing machine. I've never done that yet, but I probably wouldn't trust it. My washing machine <laughs> likes to eat stuff, but um, yeah. So I've got like this style. The pointed toe I love. It's kind of like super cute. And then I got a rounded one that's the flat. And then I found, I just got the loafers recently. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You've got three pairs already? I've only well, got one. And I was like, I'll get another one this soon. This has been a three-year process. I allow myself <laughs> to buy one pair a year. And I noticed I needed to go up a size when I was putting this insert in. So I have oh. a pair that – What size are you? I can give you my old one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fit Yes, in. I love this. For you. Okay. Yes. Jennifer – I will give you my red pointy one. Oh, yes. I was I thinking about trying the pointy because I got the round toes. So, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give you my red pointy ones because you're awesome and you deserve it. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually planning on using that as my green hack uh, at some point, but I just kept coming up with other stuff. But I'm, I'm glad you did because I, I think they're pretty cool and it's an interesting concept. Again, something that's really expensive, but ideally yeah. you wear them a lot and you don't have to buy new shoes very often so I tell you I have so many shoes that I cannot wear in my closet literally for pain in my feet oh. this is like the first time where I'm just it's not rubbing like 
any kind of way, so I'm not getting any blisters. That's really cool. By the way, if Rothy's, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) shout out. (laughs) Just just kidding. Are you looking to become a Rothy's influencer? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then just on a side note, the fairindigo.com company, I did a little bit of research before our call. I'm going to try to check them out and I'll let you guys know what, what my take is on them, but they have like a lot on their website about fairly made fashion. Um, so it kind of talks about the environmental and social aspect of making their organic cotton. So, um, I'll do a little bit more looking into that and then maybe I'll try to buy something whenever I really need it, but I'll keep you posted. That's all I got. Thanks. (laughs) Ashley, do you have a green life hack to share with us? I do. I don't, I don't know if it, if it's, if it counts or not, but mine is, I said that I'm not very good at thrifting. Um, but one thing I am really good at is finding new hobbies. And, um, I wanted to teach myself how to quilt. And I don't know if you've ever looked into what you actually have to get to make a quilt. There's like a lot of equipment, but the fabric is also really expensive. So on my first one, because I, was a little bit afraid that I was going to mess it up. Anyway, I didn't want to spend the money to get really, really nice, like organically grown, um, fabric. So I actually went to a thrift store and bought old sheets and pillowcases. And I made this, you can't really see the whole thing, but I made this quilt and it's entirely made out of old sheets. Um, and I actually really love it. It, um, it's really warm. I use it like on the couch to watch TV. And I also have been collecting. I, uh, one of the people that I, I follow on Instagram, um, she has a pattern for like a poof mm-hmm. essentially. And it's entirely filled with your, your cutting scraps. Oh, from, yeah. so oh I've heard of I've that. seen that. Yeah. yeah. So I've been saving, I have a bag full of, I don't sew as often as I would like because I have to travel so much for work, but, um, yeah, I've gotten really into, to, I I'm thinking that quilting is going to be the hobby that sticks. <laughs> and I really love like using, you know, finding ways to use, cause there's fabric everywhere. It's really, now I was going to ask, what did you fill it with? So that's, that's awesome that you can just, you know, throw the extras in there. Yeah, yeah. So, um I I haven't started on the on the poof thing yet, but it's and in I'm sh- progress. I'm sure you know this because you know Corey, but uh Austin Creative Reuse has some great mm-hmm. like fabric scraps and if you listening have a Creative Reuse store near you and you need fabric for any kind of crafting supplies, those are a great place to get them cause... Yeah, that's a great great call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to make a t-shirt quilt someday with all the shirts that I get from events and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these? I can't wear them all, you know? Yeah. Well, making a quilt is kind of like a very complicated puzzle. And I loved it. It was really fun. So That's awesome. It's also a good way to make your grandmother proud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that these, like, classic hobbies are coming back. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. Well, mine, uh, my green life hack is actually a book. Um, we've talked a lot about Patagonia and the book is the responsible company, um, by the founders of Patagonia. Um, someone lent me this and I am making my way through it. It's a really quick read, but I just haven't had time to sit down and read it all the way. I'm about a quarter to halfway through. Um, but it talks a little bit about there, 
you know, why they were founded, how they were founded. Um, but then it really goes into the role that businesses play um, or, or the responsibility that businesses have, I guess, in, in the world um, and how the environment and sustainability should be one of the factors that they consider um, when starting and running a business. Um, it, it explains a lot of the environmental issues in a, in a way that's easy to understand, but it also is just a great kind of blueprint for anyone that's running a company or kind of, you know, looking at getting into business, sustainable business. Um, and our our last uh, guest was actually worked for Patagonia on their Worn Wear program, which is um, basically kind of a buyback program for their products. We've talked a little bit about that. So that's that's a pretty cool thing, too, that they they build their things and expecting, you know, to repair them or get mm-hmm. them back, but they hope mm-hmm. that you will keep them for a long time and not need to buy another thing from them, which is yeah. very unique. Yeah, that's in the great. Yeah. So um, that's all I have, guys. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? You can find me here and on Epically Geeky, which is sort of our little our umbrella of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're doing a show this week. Um, and then Marginally Geeky, and we're going to do a show this week or next week about our Valentine's Day book. And the new show that is starting up called Creatively Geeky, which is at the end of this month. Because <laughs> Eugene doesn't have enough to do. He's going <laughs> to keep pumping out shows. And then on um, Instagram, it is a private account, but it's called The Burrow Life with um, Life, And I just post random stuff i like doing photo challenges so it's usually stuff like that <laughs> jen where can we find you online um Anywhere jennifer yet? hetzel has exclusive rights to me <laughs> so i'm you can only find me here at this show <laughs> that's right you gotta listen to, to get to jen mm-hmm. <laughs> ashley where can we find you online uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Ashley H. Gill. Um, I, I don't post a lot, but when I do, it's usually about textiles or sustainability or something that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> awesome. And what about Textile Exchange? Yes. So Textile Exchange, you can follow at Textile Exchange. Um, you can also visit our website, textileexchange.org. We're also on Facebook. Um, Facebook and Twitter are much more active than my personal accounts. So that's definitely the way to go. Um, yeah, you can read more about the material change index. There's been recently a few articles from Green Biz on um, how to incorporate responsible down, wool, leather, cotton um, into your supply chain. And you can also dig into some of those index scores uh, that I mentioned as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you can find me here on Sustainably Geeky, um, as Chris said, on Marginally Geeky, uh, Epically Geeky, and soon Creatively Geeky, our newest uh, show will be coming out. Um, you can also find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Het's Gonna Be Me. And, of course, you can find the shows uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sustainably Geeky. Um, and we will be posting to all those areas. Um, if you have an idea for future topics or guests, please feel free to let us know. Um, we are open to hearing what you, you want to hear about. We appreciate you listening. Uh, the show can be found on all the normal podcast uh, stations. Um, but if you don't already, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating or a thumbs up or whatever um, the 
thing is on that that channel. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again for listening, and uh, thank you so much, Ashley, for being on. We really appreciate it. Um, everyone, yeah. have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network.